Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about This is Spinal Tap. Very special because if you can see, yeah. the numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board. Oh. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most most blokes are going to be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? I put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. <laughs> This is a British-American rockumentary mockumentary. Directed by Rob Reiner in his directorial debut. Quite a directorial debut. Yeah. Absolutely. One of those. <laughs> the cast includes Max Belford, Chuck McGill, literally Nigel Tufnell, Fran Fine, Pistachio Disguise, Mike Wazowski, Fred Willard, Clifford Maine, Ned Flanders, Principal Skinner, Mr. Burns, Kent Brockman, Reverend Lovejoy, and Lenny Leonard. This is a unbelievable cast for... It actually like, is unbelievable. Like, <laughs> Multiple times when we were doing this, we're like, wait, really? Really? That person's in this movie? Like, not, I mean, the fact that uh, Chuck McGill, like, <laughs> the, the dramatic role, one of the most dramatic roles in Better Call Saul is the front man for this ridiculous band. <laughs> and also that uh, Rob Reiner is in this movie and he's such a, uh, you know, he, he's been in other movies as well, but he's such a uh, like big director. And then you have bit roles by Dana Carvey and Billy Crystal, like, like totally unnecessary bit roles, just crazy. Uh, the depth of this cast for absolutely no reason. Yes, it is ridiculous. I, uh, I watched this movie on YouTube. I purchased it for $15. Uh, so I will be rewatching this movie. If anyone wants to come over and see it, just let me know because I am going to have to really watch the crap out of this one to get my $15 worth. How did you watch it joey i watched it on amazon uh, on when you look up the movies online you look for watch options you know in google it usually lists the price there amazon had some sort of discount at for whatever reason it was like two dollars cheaper but it was still 12.99 or something like that ridiculous that's too much now i, now I own this movie great yeah Love or it. you quote own it until Amazon decides they don't own it anymore and neither do you. Uh, but that yep. is a different subject. Uh, before we get into our analysis of This is Spinal Tap, we'll go over the events that happened in this rockumentary uh, with the synopsis that Joey wrote. Go ahead, Joey. This is Spinal Tap is a mockumentary film directed by the fictional director Marty DeBerge as he follows the semi-fictional band Spinal Tap on their latest U.S. tour. Spinal Tap consists of five band members, David St. Hubbins on lead guitar, Nigel Tufnell also in lead guitar, Derek Smalls on bass, Mick Shrimpton on drums, and Viv Savage on keyboards. They also have a manager called Ian Faith. On this tour, the UK-based Spinal Tap is promoting their newest album, Smell the Glove. 
However, they are running into trouble with the record company, who thinks their album art is sexist. We learn that David and Nigel, the band's two leads, have been friends since they were children, and that the band has a history of drummers dying violently and mysteriously. Over the years, Spinal Tap has had 37 unique members. It seems the appeal for Spinal Tap is finally waning after 15 years of being a band, because gig after gig is canceled at the last minute. The band is starting to feel the strain of so many canceled shows until David gets a call from his longtime girlfriend, Janine. Janine is flying to the U.S. to join them for the remainder of the tour. Janine arrives at the same time as the first printings of Smell the Glove, the latest album. But instead of sexist cover art or a compromise proposed by Ian, the album is completely black, without the name of the album or the band visible anywhere. With more gigs canceled and a failed meet-and-greet at a record store and a mix-up with the size of a Stonehenge prop, the band is at each other's throats. Nigel hates that Janine gets so much input into the band's decisions, but Janine insists it is Ian's fault that the Stonehenge was so small. She tries to make herself co-manager, but Ian quits instead. The next couple of gigs are in weird places with tiny crowds because their original shows were canceled. Eventually, Nigel walks off stage mid-song, finally fed up. Just before the last show of the tour, David and Derek, the bassist, decide they've had enough and it's time for the band to retire. But as they get on stage for the last performance, Nigel and Ian come back and announce they are a hit in Japan. So another tour is planned and Spinal Tap lives on. The end. There we go, the events of This is Spinal Tap. We'll begin our analysis by going over our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about this movie? Some really great rock and roll stuff, including great music with dodgy lyrics, uh, sex and drugs, band members dying tragically, (laughs) prissy stars, elaborate sets. It all feels very authentic. Uh, while still being very silly. <laughs> um, it's it's really funny. It's, it's funny throughout the whole thing. Lots of really good bits, very quotable throughout. Um, and it has uh, quite a bit of heart as well. Um, and this movie also has a significant cultural legacy, uh, which I hope we will talk about at length. What about you, Benjamin? What did you like about this movie? This movie is hilarious. I was laughing. I mean, it's it's funny. It's really funny. I'll go out and say it. <laughs> There's a real commitment to the bit of making a mockumentary. They they just execute really well on that. Uh, the visual styles of this movie are really well done. I mean, the, the rock shows look like real rock shows. The satire and criticism of corporate rock or mainstream rock, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's done in a way that can only be achieved by someone who has a deep familiarity and love of rock and roll as a genre. And as a fellow rock and roll in- enjoyer, <laughs> I felt like they did such a great job of representing rock and roll. This movie is very quotable, as you said. And seeing it makes me feel like I'm a part of a bunch of inside jokes, as well as being familiar with an iconic cultural touchstone like you said this movie has a serious legacy and i love that i'm now able to enjoy its impact because like we'll talk about it shows up everywhere another thing i like about this movie it is short it does not (laughs) overstay its welcome if anything i would like it to be longer but i definitely can get behind brevity especially when you're doing something this silly 
It doesn't. It never gets exhausting. You leave them wanting more. I think that's really great about this movie. And finally, this movie, it ages well. The comedy in it ages well. This movie is not crass or sexist. If anything, I was surprised at how progressive the uh, like corporation was about not being sexist. <laughs> so I, I love that this is a movie you can watch without having to cringe too much at how much comedy has changed. I think the comedy in this is kind of timeless. So I, that's another really positive aspect. Now let's talk about cons. Joey, what did you not like about this as Final Tap? I feel like this isn't really a cohesive story. It's a bunch of vignettes, basically. Um, so, which I, which I understand, like, this is also kind of how the movie was made, too. It's unique to its construction. But I would have appreciated something a little bit more put together, you know, with something with a more of a through line. Um, I wish we got a little bit more from the rest of the band, too. We spent most of our time focused on David and Nigel, but the other members of the band are just as insane. Um, and I would have loved to as, like get a little bit more from them. Um, and I wish there had been a little bit more about the cultural impact of the fictional S- Spinal Tap. They talk a little bit about how the band is, even though it's like all about sex, like homosexual, not sorry, heterosexual like sex, it's appeals mostly to teenage boys and <laughs> they, um they're like they're mostly white fans and everything like they, they seem to have some sort of like kind of um not so great cultural <laughs> impact and i would i would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that uh played into the story um but that, that's just me what about you I agree the plot is a little bit lacking. And the first time I watched it, I was enjoying the comedy so much. I didn't hold it too much against it, against the the movie. But re-watching it, the last third of the movie, more or less, is very plot-driven and less about just random, like you were saying, vignettes of just wacky situations. There's not as much of like dropping us into Memphis and having witnessing their reaction to Elvis's grave site, right? Like that doesn't have to be part of anything, but it's funny to just experience that. Towards the end, they are focusing on the impact of having Janine there and they are focusing on the band's decline and then how that's resolved. And it's weak. Unfortunately, it's boring. I don't, that's a part of the movie I like less because it's less about the comedy and more about moving the plot forward. And the story just really isn't there. It's fine. Um, overall, I still really enjoy it, but I agree that there's criticism to be made there. And a less valid criticism, I'll say, but I'll still say it, is this movie is mildly inaccessible to those who don't have a familiarity with rock bands that inspired this. There's a there's a ton of stuff in this movie that is directly drawn from iconic rock bands, and some of those things will fly right over your head if you haven't seen it, So, or you're just not familiar with it. So it is what it is. It's kind of a double-edged sword, because for the people who do get it, I mean, they'll really yeah, enjoy that hard. portion. So. Yeah. Okay, well, those are our pros and our cons. Let's just really delve into this in our overall section, and I'll, and I'll get us started. This is Spinal Tap is a labor of love about big name rock bands in the mid to late 1900s. Just one way to say that. Uh, <laughs> Anthropologically. <laughs> uh, it captures the essence of classic rock in a way that can only be achieved by people who truly love rock and roll, warts and all. The tireless execution of the documentary style mixed with the desert dry, absolute deadpan delivery of dialogue makes this movie appear real for almost the entire runtime, which I find to be both amazing 
and hilarious. The similar to how the cast is like, how could you assemble this kind of cast or something this asinine? Yeah. How could you get this level of expertise when it comes to creating a documentary style film for a subject matter that's this like stupid? <laughs> I was I was amazed. This is the I would love to put this movie in front of someone who's never heard of it and see what their reaction is to it. To yeah, see if it can get across as real. The the reality of Spinal Tap the Band is muddled at best right it's so hard to tell what's going on especially if you were to if you were to come at it from like today's lens right without the context of where this was made right just looking at spinal tap itself as a rock group and their legacy after the movie makes the whole thing even more confusing about what's real and what's not but I think to your point about this being a labor of love, it's, it's very true because it's, I think this movie is extremely cynical, but in a way that's very much warranted. It, it really is trying to poke fun at a specific type of like art, one that was extremely popular when this movie came out. And this is one of the best ways of doing it. You could be really serious about it and be like, this is wrong. You know, they're exploit- exploiting people or, you know, these people are stupid or whatever. You can talk, you can list all the things that are, are wrong or, or messed up about this industry or about the people in it. But it's so much more effective to take the comedy route to just make a mirror reflection of it and to show people like kind of the behind the scenes uh, with a little bit stripped away without the um, actual prestige of these people being good artists, uh, what <laughs> is actually left. And for that, it's, it really is brilliant. And all of those like little pieces that like details that make it into like a cohesive documentary in that form are really just add to it because it's like saying like, you can do this with anything, right? You don't have to be you don't have to be a silly or a serious person to make a serious like documentary and you don't have to be a serious rock band to be an actual rock band yes it's it's hilarious how their expertise in music like doesn't actually translate to some sort of transcendent understanding of life or or some sort of message that they're able to push out Yes, because they actually do understand music. They understand keys. They uh, Nigel's like a really skilled pianist. Yes. And he's, he's like, like understands I love Mozart, Mozart and Bach. And Bach. <laughs> he's like it's a bit of a mock, <laughs> which is so great. You know, it's like, but like that's I feel like that's really true. These these guys really are really good at one thing and one thing only. Yeah. And that's like what makes them interesting. It's it's very funny. Right, and it also kind of exposes that being that good at one thing doesn't necessarily mean that you're some sort of genius or all powerful or all omniscient because you're a really good guitarist doesn't mean that you have important things to say necessarily. Right. Which is why I think this movie stands out to so many people. It's on like uh, so many people's uh, best best of lists, right? Roger Ebert put it on one of his best movies ever list. It's in the Library of Congress. It's it's like a really like uh it's considered widely as one of the greatest movies ever made but i feel like it loses some of its um impact in today's age because a lot of these things that it's criticizing are now part of the lore of celebrity right 
we don't take celebrities nearly as seriously as I think maybe we did in the 80s. And this kind of airheaded, prissy nature is something that's well documented and well known and has sort of transformed into something more sinister in, in the modern age. And as rock and roll has become, it's kind of been on the decline and like pop music has sort of become more popular, these kind of celebrities aren't as prominent as they used to be. So it's not quite as like hard hitting as as I think it was when it first came out. I think that's that's really true uh, what you just said, because we get to see behind the curtain a lot more through social media. Just you you have access to the artists that you follow like never before. And yeah. also popular artists are regularly lampooned in this way where they're made to seem like airheads and idiots. So I, I agree. I think there is something that's a little bit less prescient about watching this now, um, which obviously doesn't take away from the legacy of when this movie came out. But but one of the things I want to uh, harp in on is the humor that's in the music of Spinal Tap because the band's songs echo the, or, or parallel the way this movie is filmed because the documentary style is done really well their songs actually sound like real rock songs and they push their lyrics just beyond what you hear in actual rock songs to point out the absurdity of the subject matter give me some money which is possibly my favorite from them or gms or uh, gsm as they call it uh when they're just saying like let's play the song is just about demanding money for basically doing nothing. Like in the song, he even says, "Like <laughs> I want loose pound, like pound notes, loose change, bad checks. I'll, I'll take any of this. Like bad checks aren't even worth anything." But he's just like, "Give me money." <laughs> and he also they the way they demand it, where they're not saying it's like I earn this or like I get money. It's like, do I even have to ask? Give me some money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh <gosh>. yeah <laughs> yeah there's uh, all of the songs are like this and i think they're great i think they really do uh, like hold up as like uh great lyrics you know especially some yeah. of them are some of them are legitimately clever in the way like <laughs> in they're just in their way um uh, one of my favorites is definitely big bottom yes um, <laughs> Which is like we sing on stage, and uh, he's just like describing this woman's ass the entire time. <laughs> but he, but like the uh, the um, <laughs> the kind of twist in the chorus, uh, like the double entendre is, "How could I ever leave this behind?" Uh, which is legitimately a, a clever lyric, very funny, you know. And it's it's actually like better than I a lot of the songs you hear on the radio which are just pure nonsense which they do have a bunch of nonsense songs but this one in particular is like has a lot of double entendre that I love but some of my favorite lyrics from that song are I met her on Monday twas my lucky bun day you know what I mean and then I love her I, I loved uh, uh, I love her each weekday each velvety cheek day you know what I mean <laughs> I don't know what you mean actually yeah it's like what else could you mean <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then they've got Hellhole, which is about living in a grimy bachelor pad. There's like The song starts out and they want to get out of their hellhole, but then he they escape, or he escapes, the subject of the song escapes, to a life of luxury, probably from being so good at rocking. But yeah. then he realizes that 
the life of luxury isn't all it's cracked up to be. And then he wants to get back to his hell hole. You know what? You stand in a hell hole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is amazing. Then we've got sex farm, which oh, is sex just farm's so great. <laughs> sexual acts that are thinly veiled by a farming theme. <laughs> well, it's like, is it though? It's like, they're so bad at metaphors. That's one of my favorite things. <laughs> like, he says, uh, working on a sex farm, hosing down your barn door bothering your livestock <laughs> they know what i need it's like <laughs> like I, I don't like these are i guess um activities you could do in a farm but like uh, are they sex acts i don't not exactly sure right <laughs> it's it's it sort of is maybe it's not i don't really know it's just like like it's like <laughs> what it's like that um uh uh what's it called whose line is it anyway like thing like uh, stuff you could say uh as a farmhand but you can't say to your wife yeah you know? yeah like, yeah it's, it's, it's just that like in a song it's ridiculous um, I, i've been yeah. listening to this album on spotify this week and i've i've really been enjoying it you could release these songs as a standalone comedy album yeah. but in this film they're just a feature that really solidifies this you know semi-real band you can't make a mockumentary about a band that doesn't have any songs. So yes. it's an aspect you have to deliver on, and they absolutely deliver. It's it's something that, uh, you know, it, you can listen to it and laugh, or you can have it on in the background, and you can count on people not even realizing that this band is satire. Yes, exactly, because it sounds just like like the, 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 the style of music is almost identical to a lot of bands that you hear on the radio, especially the bands from this era, right? Uh, At some points, they sound like Styx or Yes. Uh, They sound like uh, Queen, um, Aerosmith. Yes, all all of that. They all sound, they have this, uh, it's it's like they just took all these elements, right? Put them into a a mixing bowl and then pulled something out. And there's, it could have been any other band that sang a song with, like actual lyrics. That's the only <laughs> thing that's different. The only, the only musically um, kind of uh, innovation that Spinal Tap has is Nigel's terrible guitar solos. <laughs> 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 Which are amazing. But the first couple times you hear it, you're like, like this sounds bad. And then like <laughs> later they like really hammer home exactly what he's doing. Very funny. <laughs> it's yes. really great. They're really ears eardrum splitting these uh, yes. these <laughs> so especially when he falls down on the ground and instead of rolling around being a maniac, <laughs> he gets a stage hand to move him around and then yes. lift him back up. Hilarious stuff. Um so I, I think they really deliver on that aspect of being a band which you have to do it's almost like a side objective but you can't you can't have this movie unless you can deliver on that uh, oh absolutely no it's like it's what really delivers it right it really makes it feel real and makes it feel like it's something um that, that really blurs the line right because suddenly they have songs that are listenable yes sound like real songs oh i mean i'm all week i've just been like humming like singing to myself like give me some money (laughs) yes the beach boys and the beatles too yes oh man really got it that's really good oh my goodness um and you know i also thought that they did a great job of satirizing the album art and names for different rock bands intravenous demilo and the gospel according to spinal tap 
uh, those are just two things that are already famous, and then they just attach their brand to it, which is both audacious and lazy. <laughs> Like uh, intravenous de Milo. I, I actually don't know if I'd ever heard of Venus de Milo before this, but yeah. just like attaching an IV to a statue and then calling it intravenous de Milo. <laughs> it's uh, just like this movie in general. It's <sighs> clever and stupid. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh my God. And then, yes. and then we've got shark sandwich, which sounds like the kind of randomness that you'd get from a, a rock band you know any rock band you could think of something like the most random rock band that comes to mind right now to me is green day had an album called dookie right so you you know something like that where it's like you 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 can go to the the depths of absurdity to come up with a name for your rock album but it also sets up for this review that they get when they're talking about their reviews because one reviewer just gave them a two-word review which was shit sandwich pretty clever <laughs> yes it just and they all are like you can't print that you can't print that which is just teeing up something that happened after this in real life there's this band called quiet riot and they released an album it was their fourth album called critical or it was called condition critical and it was given a two-word review of prognosis terminal yes. by jd concedine concedine in musician magazine so there's our first example of spinal tap influencing actual rock and roll that came after it and then finally we have the album that is in this movie smell the glove which is both I think kind of pointless, but also vaguely sexual and uh, also a little bit defined by the events in this film. Yeah. Well, um, this also inspired like real act, like real life thing. Apparently Metallica released a black album um, and said that this was a direct homage to Spinal Tap's Smell the Glove. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's in the movie, a explicit reference to the white album, right? Right. Uh, which is famously um, artless. Um, and so is this one. This one doesn't even have <laughs> anything written on it. It's just a black piece of cardboard. Um, pretty, yeah, pretty good. Like, how much I love blacker when they, I love could when they get it? I love it when they look at it or like, this looks like a black mirror. It looks like death. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, being like uh, thinking a little bit more recently, Smell the Gloves artwork did it first. Kanye, when he was going all original with Donda, he's like, oh, yeah. this album, I'm, it's just going to be like a black, you know, artless cover. That I thought it was stupid when Kanye did that because I, th- I think that's like, you're, you think you're too cool for album art or like, you, I don't know. To me, that's boring. It looks it, well, terrible minimalism in a collection. is both popular and very easy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And... <laughs> I did enjoy some of the songs on that album, but now to me, it's the height of comedy to see that Kanye cho- chose to have the smell the glove artwork on his album. This is something I doubt. I guess maybe I don't. I, he has a pretty good knowledge of music, but but I think there's a chance he didn't even realize what that he was connecting a dot here uh, because I think any Spinal Tap fans would immediately recognize that this right. is smell the glove not donda i mean they don't have a necessarily a a um i a copyright or you know a, on like a purely black piece of paper but yes i think uh kanye not understanding or not knowing much about history 
uh, I think tracks. <laughs> sure. And and the the other thing too is especially with Donda, he was at the height of musical madness where he was doing all these absurd things and and right. because he's like, I'm such a genius, I'm gonna do things that you don't understand. And that's to me, that's funnier than Spinal Tap. Right. That's go. the that's Very the clever. thing that people say after Spinal Tap, where they recognize that you're being absurd and, and taking yourself way too seriously, especially because you are kind of an idiot sometimes. <laughs> so I don't know. To me, I got a big old laugh after seeing the album art they ended up going with for Smell the Glove. That's great. So another thing I love about this movie is that virtually all the dialogue in the film is improvised. And I, I read this on Wikipedia. They said that actors were given outlines indicating where scenes would begin and end and character information necessary to avoid contradictions, but everything else came from the actors. As often as possible, the first take was used in the film to capture natural reactions. Kind of like us. You know, we, we don't talk about these movies before we come on the podcast so we can capture each other's natural reactions. Natural you know? reactions. So we're, valuable. <laughs> a lot of people have told me, I didn't understand it until now, they said, you guys are the spinal tap of podcasting and uh, I, I really that as a compliment that's a big compliment <laughs> uh uh, Reiner wanted to list the entire cast as writers on the film to acknowledge their contributions, but the Writers Guild objected, uh, so only he, Guest, McKean, and Shearer received writing credit. But it's obvious when you watch the film, everybody is contributing to the cleverness and the dialogue. And I want to play this quote uh, to give you a little sample of it. What's the difference between golf and miniature golf? I think so. The rules. So it's kind of hard to, to hear it there, but I watched this movie with subtitles, and when he poses that question, what is the difference between golf and miniature golf? The two other characters answer him, and one says the balls are smaller, and the other one says the holes are smaller. And this is, I think, just a microcosm of the dialogue in this film because they will ask a serious question and then give every answer except for the right answer. That they give the most absurd in a very clever way, and I adore this kind of improvisation. People who are able to pull something like that out instantly is so impressive to me and something that I try to get better at and to see it executed so well in the scenes in this movie, I think is just fantastic and uh, and really impressive. Well, I mean, let's talk about the characters for a little bit because these guys are embodying characters that they've been playing essentially for years. What's what's so interesting about the cynicism in this movie is that the like especially um christopher guest and michael mckean uh, these you know they played david and nigel these guys have been doing this bit as spinal tap for a long time long before even like kind of like this movie really existed in anybody's mind and that's because they were like basically being tryhards right they were they were trying to be uh, they were trying to embody the rock star lifestyle without doing any of the work to be rock stars, and that's um, it, it, like it comes in it comes in a very interesting direction because suddenly they have all this kind of expertise, they have this sort of persona that they've made, and they also are parodies of real people, right? Not not, not necessarily directly, but just the kind of uh, attitude or the kind of vibe that these kind of people put off. So this improvision and these characters are almost like built from the ground up 
um, like as if they existed outside of the movie itself, which is just adds to the weirdness <laughs> of the reality of this thing. But it's like it's so strange because uh, on one hand they're trying to be authentic, right? But they're also playing characters, but the characters exist outside of the movie. Um, so it's just. <laughs> It's just hard to wrap your head around. But so it makes me, it makes me, um, it, it makes the improvision very impressive, right? It makes them playing these characters so impressive. But it's also this kind of method acting in a way where it's, it's beyond even just these scenes or like these little vignettes that you see, or that it's almost as if they're like acting uh, as themselves or acting as if they would in real life. Which is know. why I feel like this movie would be perfect for Chris Tucker, the king of improvised <laughs> acting yes. in movies. He would just, I would love to, for him to be in this movie and play himself too. Like be Chris Tucker, like not be in the band, but right, be right. Chris Tucker. Just be Chris Tucker. To add to the layers of what is real uh, right. within this film. And uh, yeah, I think that would be an amazing, I mean, because again, their, their levels of improv, it's up there with Chris Tucker. <laughs> One of the things that's so interesting about this movie is a lot of the seemingly random, wacky things that they do while they're on tour are direct references to actual rock bands. Uh, when I was reading about this movie, it seems like they got inspiration for the documentary itself from Don't Look Back, which is a documentary about Bob Dylan. And The Last Waltz, which is a documentary about the band, which is the name of a band, not some... Not just a band. A band. (laughs) (laughs) The scene where they get lost backstage, which, hilarious, by the way, made me so anxious. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) They get lost backstage. That's inspired by a video of Tom Petty at a concert in Germany, walking through a series of doors trying to find the stage but then he ended up at an indoor tennis court. So a little bit of truth being wackier than fiction. We also have Nigel Tufnell's petty backstage freakout over the deli tray that the venue provided. And the manager pleading like, I don't want this to affect your performance. <laughs> that was some of the dumbest dialogue I think I've ever heard where he's like, well, you should fold it. And he's like, well, I can't fold it. And he folds the bread and he's like, no, I'm talking about the meat. <laughs> it's all like a serious, this is like a real crisis going on. That was apparently inspired by Van Halen's request a year earlier. So in the 1980s, that there be no brown M&Ms present backstage. Mm. So a very eccentric request that a lot of people wanted to poke fun at. Then we also have the name of Nigel Tufnell. It was allegedly inspired by Eric Clapton using the same formula where it's Dole first name plus location in London. So Eric became Nigel and Clapton Pond became Tufnell Park. So Uh that's, I had no idea. That's a real British joke there because i i didn't even know that eric clapton's name came from something like that and it just in general i mean you could go on and on just if you look up this film it's seemingly every big rocker has some sort of connection to spinal tap either before it was made and an inspiration for the film or in response to having seen it everybody has a story about it big names like jimmy page and robert plant Ozzy Osbourne, Kurt Cobain, The Edge from U2, they all had positive things to say about it, 
and basically endorsing the portrayal of rockers in, in the movie. According to a 1997 interview in Spin Magazine with Aerosmith rhythm guitarist Brad Whitfield, he said that the first time Steven Tyler saw it, he didn't see any humor in it, which is the height of comedy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, when the uh, film was released, Aerosmith's most recent album, Rock in a Hard Place, depicted Stonehenge prominently on the cover, which apparently had a little bit of uh you know conflict but the 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 scene was filmed first so yeah that you know it's hard to say that spinal tap was trying to take a shot directly at aerosmith uh, and not what they really did which was totally indirectly the, the stonehenge thing is apparently very um it was just like in the air or something because there's all these different references to stonehenge that happened at the around the same time and um none of them are apparently connected uh they all like happened simultaneously uh like in different areas of the rock world um so this is just another example of it um parallel thinking you might say sure and Uh, it's a it's one of the way isn't it one of the wonders of the world uh i don't think so it's 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 one of the most famous like places in the world regardless if it's on some list of top wonders of the world it's something that it's like saying you can't make a song about the grand canyon or some other thing that everybody has access to you can't take ownership of that uh, so yeah, it's I I thought it was interesting, but uh, kind of a nothing burger. It is interesting reading all the different reactions from these famous rockers, especially from like Ozzy Osbourne, who had the same reaction as uh, Steven Tyler, where he didn't he didn't laugh when he was watching it, um, even though lots of other people were laughing in the theater apparently while he was while he was there because he thought it was real. He thought that the band was a real band, um, and. Uh, like despite all the context clues uh, given to him, right? It's it, it just so much of it resonated with his real life and the real antics that he went through. That he's <laughs> that it was like, oh, I guess this is actually how it is. You know, <laughs> this is this is this is real life. And, um, and yeah, the edge too. He said that when he saw it, he wept. He didn't laugh because of how accurate it was. Uh, the getting lost in the backstage apparently happens to all these guys like they said they, like how did they, how, someone i can't remember exactly who it was but they're like how did they get my band on screen how did they do that <laughs> how did they make this about me um it's just it's just like they, they really did nail it uh, uh, and um according to all these like famous guys they they really um they really saw it as a reflection of themselves um which i think some of them took in stride and others that didn't really so right, uh, right. which is you know Kind of really hitting the mark as far as your satire goes. <laughs> exactly. And and another thing that apparently a lot of bands deal with is a revolving door of drummers, which was one of the funniest bits in this film. And also, oh, yeah. yeah, just the not only the, the fact that they had so many drummers, but also had the, such weird names. So we had uh, their like first drummer who died in a gardening accident that the authorities <laughs> said best was best left unsolved <laughs> what does that mean right and they say it in a way where they're like you know how it goes like some yeah, are yeah, best yeah. this left, is the like, kind of thing that happens sometimes <laughs> and then the next drummer stumpy joe died choking on vomit but it was someone else's vomit and they never figured out whose it was yes and then they oh, which is apparently a, a famous way for, for people to die in this way right right like, uh, the, i was waiting for someone to die in a plane crash because that's that happens all the time too these right. these um 
yeah, choking on your vomit is apparently a famous way for rock stars to die. So um, terrifying, but also <laughs> like a, a, a just a great reference, especially since it's not even his vomit. <laughs> right. And then they had another drummer named Peter James Bond, and he simultaneously combusted. Spontaneously combusted. That's right. Hilarious. In this a flash like, of green light. Yes, yeah, so they just left a little like bit of goo. Globule. On the yeah. <laughs> And I think this was like a this was like a real myth that went around for a long time was that people just spontaneously combusted randomly. Uh, you know, it happens. To, you know, I think Nigel says tens of people each year. Or something yes, like that, which is like, that, which is not true. It's it's not true that people just spontaneously combust. It's there's always some reason for it. Um, but yeah, according to this, according to the, um, you know, these drummers uh, or this band, this is what happened to their drummer. And then we had Mick Shrimpton, who was the drummer for the majority of this movie and also has his own mortality addressed directly while he's sitting in the bathtub being interviewed. Yes. He spontaneously combusts in the middle of their show uh, at the end when they decide to you know, become Spinal Tap again and go on tour in Japan. And he's quickly replaced by Joe Mama Besser. <laughs> so, another great name to add to that list. So a hilarious I really, joke. I really like it when he's sitting in the bath and... and um. Uh, Martin DeBerge, the the director's like, so like, how did you feel about the like all the deaths of the drummers? They're like, he's like, well, they warned me about it. They're like, here's how it is. It's like, <laughs> well, yeah, if this is how this happens, right? You you got to you can't keep that from people, right? You got to like just lay it out, being like, all right, well, you know, one of the things you should know is that all of our drummers have died in some mysterious and weird way. So like, if that's okay with you, you can come along with us. <laughs> yeah, it's and just like. like they're like the law of averages says that you won't. Yeah, die. you'll be fine. You know, it's like it's just not something you take that seriously. It's just some weird coincidence. <laughs> just another example of like the confident stupidness in this film, where they just say something and nod along with themselves. I would love to see matters. like a little like you know little like sketch or something where about a um the drummer for Spinal Tap who's desperately trying to find out what's about to happen to him you know like he's like tracing all of the mysterious deaths of the drummers trying to find out what, what how they're all connected yeah it's why like they all wide die. conspiracy <laughs> uh another another thing that i loved about this was the scene at elvis's grave the reverence that they have for uh, elvis presley the king the king but also how much they're idiots at the same time during such a moment that they're trying to make serious like they try to harmonize but then they can't get it right and they're like getting mad at each other and they start to curse at each other and then the bassist is like whoa whoa not in front of like elvis's grave and then they all sit there and they're like they remark on how this whole thing is deeply depressing. It's <laughs> hilarious that they're able to just drop our characters in front of Elvis's grave and say, go. And then they come out with this. Amazing. I watched that yes. scene like five times. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. In conclusion, I love this movie. I love rock and I love deadpan comedy. And this movie gives us both. The documentary style is delivered. With, su with a level of execution that is usually reserved for history's greatest people, but right. is instead used on these silly buffoons. The fact that this movie is mainly improvised helps to deliver on the documentary style while also being insanely impressive. The plot really goes nowhere, but that's okay because that's not really what this movie is about. It's about getting to know these silly wankers from the UK and letting us experience their antics firsthand. It's hilarious. 
It's endearing. It's endlessly quotable, and I love it. Yeah, it is. It's, it is truly um, something special. Uh, and <laughs> it, it, I mean, as a movie that's like credited with starting the mockumentary genre, uh, truly is groundbreaking in a way that I think is hard to appreciate today because um, it's so so much part of our normal movie landscape. The comedy. Uh, scene is rich with mockumentaries um so it, it's um it's hard to see this one as different um when there's so many other examples out there yeah it's hard to think of this is spinal tap as kind of like a great grandfather to the office yes <laughs> it's like, oh okay. exactly especially because you the office you've got that bricks that mix of american and british so it's uh it's really you know it's a strong line there But okay, let's move on from our overall section into our cool Easter eggs, and I'll get us started. So in 2002, This Is Spinal Tap was deemed, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, I guess you get to choose, by the Library of Congress, and was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. So again, just another comedic moment where a movie this stupid is taken so seriously uh which is something i i can really easily get on board with and also uh, another cool easter egg there were over a hundred hours shot for this movie and that means a lot the vast majority ended up on the cutting room floor and you can see some of those you can just look them up on youtube some of the deleted scenes and there's a lot of good stuff that did not make it into this movie there's one scene where they go to the zoo and they're looking at the gorillas and suddenly they're all experts on gorillas and they're like talking about how gorillas are uh, a main they mainly eat bread but <laughs> but it's like but it's curious because they never learned how to bake <laughs> then they what? start then they start talking about how it's like uh, gorillas can say some phrases <laughs> some words but like for instance like can i have some more bread <laughs> and then they go but they they don't learn how they never learned how to curse they have reverse tourettes where they can't cuss <laughs> and what he says what, what they've been known to say rubbish but that's about it <laughs> it's like they just come with this stuff it's like a minute and a half clip where they just are popping off like this and it's I love it. I like. I want to surround myself with people like this in my real life and just giggle and laugh at, in any situation. So uh, that th- this movie just it has the soul that I I want to embody. So it's it's just amazing stuff. It great restraint was shown by making this movie as short as it is because they had more uh, you know gas in the tank. So they play the band plays in a Milwaukee venue called uh shank hall and i went to the shank hall website um and this is what it said in their faq the name shank hall comes from the musician's cult film this is spinal tap in the film spinal tap played in a milwaukee in milwaukee at a then fictional club called shank hall the club's owner peter jest booked the tap at the uwm ballroom in 1984 he then promised the band if he ever opened a club in milwaukee it would be named shank hall guess what he did in 1989 that's awesome Uh, so the this is another example of spinal tab inventing something for the movie and then it becoming real in real life (laughs) because of the movie right because the whole movie was filmed in la i think 
Like yes, that's I right. read the that it's all thing. in LA. Yeah, that's right. Even though they they go to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is not far from where I am, in, right? Uh, in um in the movie, but right? They and they weren't actually there. The they go to Elvis's grave in Memphis, but that was just a set. It wasn't actually yeah. his real grave. Um, in May 2022, just last year, uh, director Rob Reiner announced that he was working on a sequel to the film, which will include him returning to play DeBerge and McKean. Uh, Sheener and Guest as members of Spinal Tap, um, which is uh, very interesting. We'll see if that happens or not. I think it's actually been released in some film festivals, but we'll see. All we can hope is that Chris Tucker is there. That's right. But but more seriously, (laughs) this is great news. I can't believe I'm watching this movie right before another one comes out. I have uh, like a kind of... It's inordinary for me to be this... Uh, excited about a sequel potentially happening for what what is basically something that's been done for so long yeah so hopefully it's good hopefully it doesn't make us hate the original Uh, but (laughs) uh, i do hope that they can bring back some of the magic of the original spinal tap Uh, there's still plenty more to talk about and plenty more to satirize about the rock industry or about current music you know if they want to go in either of those directions right especially with social media and um uh and just like the longevity of some of these bands that are still touring right yes. that like haven't released a new song in decades but are still like going on tour so um yeah it, it'll be i think there's plenty of uh, stuff there uh, if you want to do like an updated version of it which i think would be fun i trust um, them with yeah. that mission i definitely do we'll see uh in norway the film was released direct to video it actually has quite a like it's instead of being called this is foul tap it's called um help i'm tr- like i'm in a production company or something like that like which is um <laughs> uh, uh, which is also like uh, a reference to airplane apparently an airplane uh in norway airplane was released as help i'm trapped in an airplane or something like that <laughs> um anyway uh this when it was released throughout the entire film there's an on-screen disclaimer that reminds the audience that the band is fake (laughs) (laughs) which is ridiculous and apparently this was there was like something in the credits too i saw this on the amazon x-ray thing but i couldn't actually find it in the credits that said um somewhere in the credits that says spinal tap is not a real band and and the easter bunny isn't real either (laughs) but i couldn't find it so i don't i don't know where that comes from i don't maybe that's a different version of the film a different release or something but it wasn't in the version i watched um yeah uh in, in addition to this right i think there's also worth noting that spinal tap the band has released actual albums um after the movie came out uh, there's been it was like direct to, to DVD, I think sequel, which I think was like a live version of the band. I'm not exactly sure. Um, they also have performed at charity events and gone on panels. Uh, they have, uh, for example, they didn't even actually performed at the real Shank Hall, but they have appeared there and answered questions about the movie and about the band. Um, they performed in 1991 at the Disneyland Hotel. They performed as recently as 2009. Um, where they went on a one world one night world tour uh which was in the <laughs> london wembley arena uh, and yeah so a lot of these have been like charity events or something but like the band has actually performed on stage in front of real audiences with the songs that they've written uh, the members of the band have written not just like for the movie so begs the question <laughs> um there's a quote from kurt, kurt vonnegut that i really like which is you are what you pretend to be 
And um, so you know, Poe's law certainly comes into effect here. At a distance, irony and sincerity look the same. Um, and uh, that's certainly true for Spinal Tap, um, where they started off as satire, but they've sort of become a real band and a reflection of real bands in a way that has altered music history. Um, and it's hard to know, like, I don't know, the, the crossover of genre here between like music and, and film, right, shows just how permeable art is and how we are able to transition between reality and and uh fiction and how fiction has this effect on reality um it's just all very interesting to me (laughs) i i agree it's very powerful it's inspirational to me the impact that such a silly exercise of saying let's pretend to be a rock band and record it in a way that's very serious and and don't point out the fact that we're joking and it can have this kind of impact on the the subject matter that they're satirizing um i i think it really reminds us of the power of art and uh and also the power of doing something that hasn't been done before this is so original uh in its time uh and and it makes me continue to want to try out things that are new you know and and again we live in the era of endless sequels uh it's so it's it's a risk but it's also a risk worth taking to go in a new direction and try something unconventional because then you could become i mean i don't know if you want to be the next spinal tap literally but uh you could be (laughs) you could have this kind of impact yeah because it i i don't know like i don't know if this has had a positive influence or not but it certainly had some sort of influence it certainly made a lot of people question um the reverence that i think people have for people in this position and it certainly made that kind of lifestyle seem less appealing this kind of thing is i don't know hard to um it's hard to put your finger on exactly where the line is and what like where exactly like one begins and one ends right and that's kind of the beauty of this is it's not just trying to parse it apart right it's not taking it apart that direction but just kind of at the wonderment of um what's possible and like just the the direction that something like this can take um from being deeply cynical to becoming the the very thing that it was satirizing but never really losing sight of what it was trying to do and always being relevant (laughs) was very strange it it, it, there's really very little stuff like this i think there's a line in this movie that it kind of touches on this a little bit such a fine line between stupid and and clever <laughs> yeah, and, and this comes along with with this one as well. We made a joke a long time ago, making yeah, it, it like a big that's deal. That's true. You know, no. if we were serious and we said yes, this should she should be forced to sn- smell the glove, then you'd have a point. You know, but it's all a joke, isn't it? I mean, we're making well, it's, fun. It isn't, it isn't. We're making she fun of that sort of thing. It, you know, not not you know over and over again. Thing. We're, we're making fun of that sort of thing, and, and I agree. There is a really fine line between stupid and clever, and I think it's pretty for me and you. I think it's pretty clear that this movie falls on the clever side more than the stupid side but it is very close to just being stupid yes <laughs> so it's like right there <laughs> and um that's part of its fun is that it is so stupid but it's also like that's why has this powerful resonance to it where um i guess maybe just because reality is so stupid and that these people that they're satirizing can just be so stupid <laughs> that it's that 
you know, that stupidity almost feels more than just purposeful, but like very pointed. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. But it, I, I, I like the, I like both of these lines here, especially when they say it's all just a joke because clearly they don't mean it in the movie, but they kind of mean it as like as the whole project, as this is Spinal Tap, right? That this whole thing is just a joke and that they don't actually mean any of it. But uh, they weren't able to necessarily escape from that, nor were they really willing to necessarily, right? They could have just hung up the guitars, you know, cut their hair and never looked back, but they're still performing as Spinal Tap. So it, it's, it, they don't really mean that it's just a joke, do they? they? They really did want this to be true. Yes. It really <laughs> walking that line. Crazy. Okay. Well, that is going to bring us to the end of our discussion on This is Spinal Tap. As we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we'll now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to this movie? I give this movie a giant chrysalis made of pure rock and roll that I can't escape from. <laughs> Very powerful. Um, I give this movie a Spinal Tap revival tour in 2023. I actually came up with my rating before I found out that they were going to do a like potential sequel. And <laughs> I think you're right. It's time to have a like unwarranted revival tour and, uh, and get them back out there to relive the glory days while they're like uh, kind of geriatric. So I am really excited about that. Same. All right. Well, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's going to do it for this is Spinal Tap. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing the movie Primer, um, but there may be something in between there. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know how we're doing it on Apple Chat. We're always making new content, but the Primer, if I, if I looked up the right thing, it has an even shorter runtime than This Is Spinal Tap, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> the, the, you may be confusing it with a home movie, but uh, it's... Um, <laughs> Trust me, it's great. That's fantastic. I mean, with uh, how short this film was, and we're doing one that's even shorter, you know, perhaps we're on some sort of trajectory here. We'll eventually start reviewing YouTube videos and then then TikToks. And then finally, Vines. (laughs) We'll max out at six seconds. (laughs) That'll be a a short podcast. (laughs) Um, You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Affablechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all of our social media accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of which are at AffableChat, and even our email address, AffableChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you heard of the podcast version of Spinal Tap, Affable Chat? <laughs> Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash AffableChat. This week, we're broadcasting live from shank hall so uh come join us there (laughs) and we'll rock out together uh but that's gonna do it for this episode for apple chat i'm benjamin and i'm joey thanks for listening